Hey there, welcome to the Open Doors podcast. My name is John. I'm one of the co-pastors of the Open Door Church. And over the past few weeks during Lent, we've been hearing stories from people from within our church, stories of faith and doubt and struggle and just what it looks like um, to be a follower of Jesus in the world today. And they've been amazing. Last week we released the first one, which was story by a friend named Kyle. He's one of our elders. And today the story comes from a woman named Heather, who right now is actually in her, I think, second week hiking the Appalachian Trail. This story was told right before she left. And it's a, it's a good one. It's uh, an emotional story and a pretty amazing story. So Take a listen. I know the audio on the story section of this is not great, but you can, you'll get through it. It's worth it. Um, And then once we get into the sermon section, which is a sermon that I give on the woman at the well from the Gospel of John, um, the audio is much, much better. So um, yeah, you might have to do a little extra listening in the beginning, but I hope you enjoy. of Lent, we are uh, hearing uh, stories uh, of faith from people in our congregation, and this morning, I'm really excited, Heather Liss is going to share, and I invite her forward to share a story. Um, well, spoiler alert, I'm hiking the Appalachian Trail uh, this year. Uh, I'm actually I'm also feeling a lot of feelings this morning, so feel free to feel with me <laughs> um, if that's your jam. So uh, before I get started with my story, I just wanted to let everybody know that I'm hoping to keep a blog. Um, I'm also doing a fundraiser for one of our open partners, so feel free to check me out. Um, um, and if you don't, um, you have to don't get a newsletter, feel free to ask me or one of the other folks um, who attend. <laughs> Last summer, a woman who I had only known for a few short months told me that she was planning to hike the Appalachian Trail in 2023. When she found out I also enjoyed backpacking, she asked me if I would be interested in joining her. No pressure, she said. Without hesitation, my enthusiast Enneagram 7 husband exclaimed, you're going, right? I vaguely remember just staring at my new friend Mimi with my mouth hanging. A perfectionist Enneagram 1 does not simply just decide to walk 2,200 miles from Georgia to Maine. I spent about a month thinking about it and eventually made up my mind. I said no. I was disappointed, but I didn't want to interrupt my life, and most of all, I didn't want to leave my job and jeopardize my career. I told myself the same thing that I've been telling myself ever since I started thinking about the trail 10 years ago. I'll hike it when I'm retired, so I don't have to leave the job. Sure, my current job isn't the best job out there, but that's only because it's not personally rewarding, I work a lot of overtime, and the culture is toxic. (laughs) 
But if I walk away, I will be letting down my department and losing out on opportunities for professional development, which is irresponsible at best and vocational failure at worst. Looking back on this now, I have a clearer picture of why I made this decision. In college, I began acutely experiencing my symptoms of depression, but I still didn't fully understand what was going on. My inner self-critic kicked into overdrive, and I began to form my identity at self-worth into succeeding at all tasks, great and small. I felt spiritually alive for the first time as a student member of the CCO campus ministry at Pitt, but struggled to reconcile what I wanted to believe about God loving me no matter what, and James 2.20, faith without works is dead. What works? How many works? I remember being relieved in college when I attended the Jubilee Conference on Vocation and Purpose, and I was able to actually internalize that it's okay that I didn't feel called to be a pastor or a student. But I still wondered what it meant to turn my biology and environmental science path into a vocation. What did it really mean to be faithful inside and outside my studies and my job? What does faith truly even look like? Am I doing it right? As I transitioned into my first job as an environmental consultant, I inadvertently poured my purpose, identity, identity and self-worth into my job performance. Over the course of several years, my self-imposed need to succeed at everything turned into a crippling aversion to failure. My emotional and spiritual health suffered as I constantly pushed myself. How much do I need to accomplish to meet God's standards? How much do I need to do so that I can love myself? How much is enough? I worked hard for 60 to 90 hours a week, taking any scrap of professional validation to prove that I was succeeding in my vocation. After a few years of this job, there were definitely consequences. My depression got worse. I lived in full burnout mode. My relationships with Nick and everyone else became strained. Although I wore my exhaustion like a misguided badge of honor, I knew it wasn't sustainable and I was able to get a different job that I held for almost seven years until very recently. After a few years, my burnout subsided and my overall relationship with work improved, in no small part due to that sweet, sweet support and therapy. But I still freely poured my energy and self work into my job because I thrived on the challenge when I felt that I was making a difference by doing different at work. The old, how much is enough mantra has been really tough to do. So in summary, the real reason I said no to that relationship trail was because I was afraid that I had nothing about my job. Everything changed last October when my dad passed away suddenly from a tragic accident. The week that followed was a blur of the physical pain of grief, looking after my mom, writing and delivering my dad's eulogy, and visiting the grave of my father-in-law who had passed almost exactly one year earlier, also too soon. By the grace of God, I did find comfort in the fact that my dad's faith was secure. Although he's not a dancing in the streets kind of guy, I know he's basking in God's presence, at least softly humming his favorite hymns, of which as the dearest one, and maybe hoping for something to fix. But for the record, it still doesn't seem fair. Several weeks after I returned home following the funeral, I remember being offered to join her on the Appalachian Trail. Almost unintentionally, I began the decision process all over again, from a different perspective and as information flowed into the process. What if my life is worth more than how well I do my job? What if my passion and excitement for nature actually come from God? My dad wasn't perfect, but I finally realized that he prioritized his spiritual relationship with God by spending time in the Word, doing works of service, and by engaging in things that he was passionate about. 
He had a zillion hobbies, traveled to amazing places like Switzerland where he climbed the Matterhorn, and loved spending time with people who heard about. How can I be so confident that he was a faithful man and also be so afraid that I am not enough? What if I'm already enough for God? After years of wondering where God's voice has been in my life, I now understand that it's been coming to me through the people that I love and respect, through encouraging and spiritual discussions with dear friends who are at a dinner table or late night campfire, and gently convicting messages from over the version of the pulpit. In November, I texted my friend five words. Hey, Mimi, count me in. I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity to even begin something like this. And while I believe it's a privilege and not necessarily a sacrifice, I hope to use this opportunity to lay the burdens of pride and the foolishness of self-sufficiency at Jesus' feet. Through hiking the Appalachian Trail is now a vacation for me, a purpose. I hope to use the opportunity to draw attention to one of Oregon's mission partners, Oregon Ministries, and to highlight their incredible work to peacefully rage against systemic racism and get results. I want to test myself, honor my dad, experience nature in an intimate and humbling way, be reminded of how small I am, hopefully experience God in a way I never have before, and maybe even find ways to be more intentional about acting in faith. Pooping in the woods is just a bonus. <laughs> I don't necessarily have a lightning strike moment where my faith was tested all at once, but I do have many years of questions about my identity and where my worth comes from. I finally accepted that there is no enough, that we don't get to hear well done and good and faithful servant until the end. And maybe for me, being faithful means living in attention, doing my best to know and do God's will while also working to be truly at peace with the knowledge that he knows me, loves me, and is worthy for me no matter what. I'm still a work in progress, and I always will be, but I guess that's part of being faithful, too. On Saturday. So, um, as as Heather goes out, um, I would like us to bless her. And so, um, Heather, if you can come in the center, and I invite uh, the kids to come down first um, to uh, to sorry <laughs> and uh, lay hands on Heather um, as we remind her that she is deeply loved by God, and and this new vocational change. Uh, vocational um, thing is 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 uh, celebrated and loved by God just as much as uh, these beautiful faces in front of you. Um, all right, if you guys want to come on down and you can lay your hand on, on, and if you can't reach Heather, then you can also lay a hand on a person in front of you. Um, all right, and I invite uh, the adults now to, to kind of gather in and, and lay hands. Let us pray. Dear God, we give you thanks for Heather and her faithfulness. 
that even as she is a work in progress, you are leading her to literally new heights, to experience your love and nature, to advocate for justice, and to know you dearly. God, we, we give thanks that Heather asked you for nourishment and you provided living water. God, be with her as she leaves Pittsburgh, her home, her, um, her beloved, and her career to see you in new ways and to venture into a new kind of being in the world. God, you deeply love her. And we do. May she always know that she belongs to you and she belongs to us. In Jesus' name. in the house so here I am um, with a message I'd love to share even though I can't be there with you in person um, and I think you've just heard the scripture John chapter 4 verses 5 through 15 maybe went all the way through 42 um, what uh, what a story Jesus went to the well in Sychar, in Samaria, in this story. Because he was tired and he needed a drink, he went to this well. And to begin, I think, to begin a revolution of bridging barriers of separation. When I was in about 10th grade, some older kids in our church, um, older kids, Matt, Nate, and Brad, three really cool college kids when I was in like middle school. They asked our church if they could use an old house on the property to start something they wanted to call The Well. It was a weekly coffee house concert venue gathering place for anybody in high school. You had to be in high school or college. And I just got in. I was in ninth grade. It was a weekly thing, and the place was full every single week. They called it the well because they understood the deep consequence of the scripture, that the scripture is about bringing people together, creating connections, going deeper. They wanted to create a space for belonging and for relationship. The well, as they called it, became really popular. Hundreds of kids would come out to this little old shack of a house on the edge of the church property um, up in the suburbs. Kids from all different schools would come. The leaders, um, they allowed for Christian music, but mostly just music. It's just about being together and hearing music. It was the first place that I ever got to play music myself. And it was terrifying because there were a lot of kids there. Imagine being in ninth grade. Uh, and getting in front of a bunch of older kids. Well, we did it, uh, my friend Dave and some other friends. Soon, the church, though, decided 
they were no longer okay with all that was going on on Friday nights. They decided the well would become an official church event for youth. The youth director of the church would now be in charge. The college kids could still help. Well, that didn't go over very well. The leaders of the well quit, the college students who ran it. They were like, nah, this is our thing. We don't want to be told what to do. The church did take it over and they changed the name. They changed it to The Bridge, which we'll talk about later, uh, the idea of a bridge. Um, they attempted to keep it going and it really didn't. The bridge collapsed, I guess you could say. And the well was no more. Thinking back, the well was about the most edgy, like punk rock thing that I can imagine for a bunch of suburban Christian teenagers to pull off. They were getting hundreds of kids from multiple schools and multiple different backgrounds from all over the city to gather and to hear music, to drink coffee, which most of the kids probably didn't even like, <laughs> and to connect. I still have memories of conversations and stories and music that was played on those Friday nights. All these kids coming knew they were going to a church and they didn't care. They knew they'd be accepted and would just have fun. Jesus went to the well in Sychar in Samaria because he was tired and needed a drink. And because he knew it would be a place of revolutionary relational connection. Wells really are places of connection. Brad, Nate, Matt, um, in their college years, had a great name for their coffee house. They wanted to create a place of gathering and connection. The woman at the well was surprised that Jesus spoke to her because they weren't supposed to connect. They were both at the well. They weren't supposed to connect on any kind of a relational level. From my initial perspective, when I read this passage, and it's kind of how, this is what comes to mind each time I read this passage. It's such a familiar passage. I kind of read it from, like, with a feminist lens on, and I first catch myself hearing Jesus ordering a woman to do his work, to give him a drink. And the way it's stated in ancient Greek, it comes across a little bit like that. But what if that's not at all what is even happening here? What if Jesus is actually breaking the patriarchal norms, breaking the nationalism, breaking the religious bigotry of the day by showing respect for this woman? Jesus initiates conversation and connects with a woman he is not supposed to talk to by any and all cultural norms. Well, the passage started, you just heard it, like this. It says, Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. I think it's really interesting that Jesus points out how tired Jesus was. <clears throat> John even points out 
that it's noon, a very hot part of the day. Jesus sits down and he asks the first person who comes to the well if he might have a drink. Could it be that Jesus is suffering here? Could it be that Jesus uses his own physical pain and physical need as a way to break down this cultural barrier? I think Jesus was so tired that he needed to ask this woman for water. Maybe. The scripture even points out that the disciples were off buying food. I think that's an important point. Jesus is sitting here alone and he's thirsty. He's in a vulnerable position. He has no way to get water that he needs. <clears throat> when they get back, the disciples, they're again, they show their worry for how Jesus is doing. They want to know if he has eaten and he says he doesn't need food and they seem worried that he hasn't had food. It seems obvious to me that Jesus had walked a very long way and was not in good shape at this well. I mean, he might have been in fit good shape, but he wasn't feeling good as he sat at the well. He sat down there and I, I believe he was waiting. I think he was waiting for the first person that might pull up some water and give it to him. I think Jesus had some need and was showing some weakness here. Maybe he was suffering from the beginnings of even heat exhaustion. Maybe he was severely dehydrated. Have you ever walked through a desert? The woman points out that he has no way to draw water from the well. John puts this in the story. He really did need her assistance to get water. Jesus goes on to share that while he might be thirsting for H2O, he has living water for all those who seek it. He says, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman goes on to share this good news throughout the town, and many people come to believe that this man Jesus indeed possesses the living water of eternal life. Here we have to pause because the whole meat of the story is in Jesus offering living water. Yet we don't really know what that means. This is the important part. But what does he mean by this? He's not talking about physical thirst like the woman at first thinks, or else he wouldn't be asking her for a drink. He's talking about the thirst that we all have. I think we all as humans have a thirst for God. Human nature is to long for connection with something bigger than ourselves. The nature of all that God has created is that we are all connected. All of creation is connected to everything else. Yet sin warps that. Sin is separation. 
Sin destroys these connections to God, others, and the natural world. We long for connection. We thirst for connection. Jesus is offering repair for broken connections. Our church's mission is to create passageways to God, others, and the world in the way of Jesus. The mission of our church is to join in the work of Jesus in creating connection. The water that Jesus offers is the healing of our connection to God and therefore our connection to others and to the natural world. A few years ago, I had an experience with a literal well. We don't have literal wells, do we, here in our country. Uh, We have wells. We don't have the kind that you pull buckets from, like Jesus is sitting at. We don't have that experience. There's a village that some of you have been to with me called El Huizachal, where our missionaries, Luis and Carla Hurtado, have worked for about a decade, a little more. They serve the people there with medical care. And near their home, there's a hole in the ground with a metal lid on top. People from all over the village come, mostly women and children, and they bring five-gallon buckets with ropes tied to them on a heavy stick that goes across their shoulders. And they, they, they uh, dip the bucket down deep into that well and pull hand over hand, pull that water, that five gallon bucket up and attach it to both sides of that stick. I checked with folks when I was there last time if it would be okay to use well water to give the trees that we were putting in the ground with local farmers and gardeners, um, if it would be okay to use that water uh, to water those plants when we first put them in the ground. And it was agreed, it was okay. Would not use too much of the water and it wouldn't be insulting, which was a concern to use their drinking water. It was okay, they used it for things like that also. I also checked with folks who would be okay for me to carry the water in the same way that the women and children, and sometimes men, carried water from the well to their homes. They agreed it would be weird since white people never went to the well, but it would be okay. At the well, we met people we never would have met and talked to. They laughed at me as I tried to get the bucket down the well. I mean, imagine trying to fill a bucket. A bucket wants to hit the water and float. And it's really challenging to fill a bucket up. Well, they helped me fill the bucket up. They laughed as I tried to carry the 10 gallons of water and it splashed all over the place. And they showed me that I didn't have to carry two full buckets, but usually halfway full, maybe three quarters of the way full would be the way to go. The well was a bridge for us, two cultures, and we met in the middle and they helped me um, just learn how to use an old fashioned well. For Jesus, the well was also a bridge a bridge between his culture and the culture of the Samaritan woman. 
She helped him get the water that he needed. He actually needed her help. And he provided good news that God's water would quench the thirst that she and all people feel. A thirst for connection. Interesting that the church in my first story, my home church, uh, changed the name from the well to the bridge. In our passage today, Jesus is the well. While Jesus needed literal water, he also offered spiritual water. Jesus is the bridge that connected people who believed they should not connect with people outside of their own culture. He bridged that gap. In our culture today, the gospel must be a bridge that brings connection back between God and God's people. In our fractured world, any good news must bring connection back between fractured humanity. Today, there is inequality among people and a damaged and fractured earth. This gospel message of bringing connection is truly good news. Today, the work of the gospel is to create bridges where white supremacy has created separation. Hatred has created violence. Today, the work of the gospel is to create connection and bridges where race and racism has created inequality, where poverty has created generational suffering. Today, the work of the gospel is creating bridges where people and the earth bring healing and restoration, where people connect climate and ecosystem degradation to issues of environmental justice for the poor and for people of color. Today, the gospel is the bridge that reconnects us to the living water of God, our Savior. Bridges connect. All of God's creation is meant to be connected in a web of mutuality and reciprocity. This is good news that Jesus provides living water. Living water for all of creation that we might find new connection to God and therefore to others and to the world. Jesus didn't have to ask this woman for water. He could have suffered and waited until his, uh, his disciples, his friends got back. He didn't have to connect with her. But he used his own weakness. He used his own vulnerability to connect with her, to honor her, to show that he knew her. He knew the things maybe that weren't so good, but he just knew who she was and pointed it out. He connected with her and therefore connected with others, with an entire community. And they were thirsty. They were looking for connection. 
And that's why they came to believe that he had the water that they needed, the water of eternal life. And this is the good news, that God, through Jesus, is calling us back to our baptismal waters, that we might know eternal life by being united to Christ, united with one another, and united to this beautiful planet that we call Earth. This is the good news. Thank you for listening into the podcast. Of course, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning at 1030. We worship at the Neighborhood Academy here in Pittsburgh. And all of our music is by our band, This Side of Eve, which you can find on uh, Apple Music and Spotify and um, also at our band camp site. All right. Have a really great um, Palm Sunday and Easter week.